What a perfect metaphor for today. Certainly in our topiaries and in our cornucopia, we think about the regenerative seeds that continue to give life and how life begets life. Uh, I don't know if you heard it or not, if it picked up through the sound system, but uh, when Jason was asking, how do we multiply seeds, one of the kids said, you hammer it out, right? You just pound it until you hammer it out. And then Lucas said, uh, if we don't get enough pledge cards, we're just going to hammer it out today, right? We're just going to keep pounding, keep pounding it, right? It's good stuff. I, I hope you'll find a Bible that uh, is in your pew rack or maybe one that you brought with you today or maybe one on your phone. I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to look at three or four verses there as we think today on this Commitment Sunday about planting seeds and about investing in the future and about God continuing to grow life here at First United Methodist Church. So listen for the word of the Lord. Paul says, the point is this, the one who sows sparingly, sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I ran across some really bad stewardship bulletin bloopers this week, but I had to share them uh, with you. One of those bloopers said, please place your donation in the envelope along with the deceased person you want to be remembered. <laughs> See the, the, the other one said the, uh, the associate pastor <clears throat> unveiled the church's new stewardship campaign slogan last Sunday, and it said, I upped my pledge, now up yours. <laughs> Unbelievable. And then finally, there was a, a capital initiative to raise money, and there was a stewardship rummage sale, and the sign said, it's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget to bring your husbands, right? Ha <laughs> ha, that's good. Welcome to Commitment Sunday, a time when we give cheerfully, and we think about our generosity from a cheerful, vibrant, spiritual place. This is not uh, something that is compulsory or obligatory. This is, this is our opportunity to give back to God that which is already God's. Just a portion of it. That's all that God asks. And we get to celebrate that today. Generosity, giving, making our commitments, it's a matter of the heart, my friends. It's a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual vital sign, just like you check your cholesterol and your oxygen and, and your blood pressure. If you want to know the vitality of a family or in the life of a Christian or a congregation, this is one of the measurables, one of the vital signs that tells us where we are. You'll recall something Dr. Stegall said uh, last Sunday as we kicked off this, um, this, this final two sermons on the pathway to giving. He said, the most joyful and fulfilled people are those who are the most generous, those who give to help the needs of others. In the Hebrew Bible, in Genesis, we, we read it this way. God says, I will bless you. And that's where it stops, right? Right? No. I'll bless you so that you may bless others. 
That's right. Sometimes we forget about the second part. With all the blessings we have, it's so easy to overlook that we have this responsibility, this covenant to bless others. I believe it was Anne Frank who once said that no one has ever become poor by giving. No one has ever ceased to be blessed because they haven't blessed or they blessed somebody so much. No one goes without by planting seeds and by sowing bountifully. No one has ever become poor by giving. It all belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. And we can never outgive God, who is the author of generosity. But by making our pledges today, in just a few moments, we're giving back that which, a portion of which, is already God's. And that's all that is asked. And that's why we give, friends. The question is, why not give? Why wouldn't we want to give and to celebrate what God is doing here in our lives? I'll be transparent, for, for our household, this has been a process over the course of 27 years to work up to a level of 11 or 12 percent of, of, of where we are. We love being there. We've prayerfully considered that. That's our, our level of generosity where we are the most cheerful, but there were times when that wasn't possible. Have you ever been in those situations? Young family, newly married, young child at home, punching a clock, trying to you know, struggle to make 31 hours to stay on the insurance. It's a, it's a struggle, right? And there comes times when you say, I can give to my church, or what about formula and diapers? You ever been in that situation? It's interesting that when we gave what we could in those difficult seasons of life, miraculously, there was always enough. We never went hungry. We never struggled too much. We gave what we could. Later in life, as income levels fluctuated and bills piled up and, gosh, career changes were in the works, we had to figure out what is our next step. What will our next best step be? So we prayed about it, Susan and I. We prioritized a lot. We've made a lot of adjustments. And now our very first fruits off the top go to the church. That's the decision that, that we've made. And that's where we give the most, are able to give the most cheerfully. All that to say, I only mention that to encourage you, as Paul says, to give as you have made up your minds to give, but to give cheerfully. Please don't walk down the center aisle in just a few minutes and do like this. The preacher is asking for money again. No, this is our opportunity to live into our covenant together, to celebrate what God is, is doing right here among us. In our pathway to giving, which is where we are, this is the final component in our whole pathway series. We've had the pathway to membership, the pathway to growth, the pathway to service, and now the pathway to giving. This is the final part here. There's four parts to that that my good friend Chris Stovall with Generis has shared with me. Because a lot of times what, what I'll hear is, hey, Pastor Jay, I understand the why, right? I understand why I should give, because we want to make a difference in the world, and I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. I just don't know how. I don't know how to get started. Or I've heard this a couple of times recently. I've been away from the church for 20 months. I've got to do a better job of getting back online, getting back in lockstep with where God wants me to be. So there's four parts to this. They're in your Pathways book, but I just want to mention them because they're so important as we take our next steps. The first is to become an initial giver. This is, 
this is the first time. If you've never given to uh, a local church, and specifically to our local church here, this is an opportunity to say, I do really want to be a part of God's transforming work in this world. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. I want my one little or two little seeds to be planted and nurtured and watered by the Holy Spirit to become something that I could never do on my own. That's what we do when we make a pledge and when we invest in the church. Take that first step. It's the Nike moment. Just do it. Just try it. The second step is to become a consistent giver. Ministry happens every single week. So we need, we need households who might consider being consistent in weekly, monthly, quarterly giving so ministry can happen on a consistent and routine basis. One of the questions that consistent givers tend to ask about their household is, is that which is related to priorities. And we make discoveries when we start digging into, into these uh, reprioritizations of our lives. For example, we might discover, hey, I'm giving more to Verizon for my cell phone bill than I am to my church, and I'm giving to Verizon more consistently. That's a transaction. What consistent giving is, is transformation. It's grace. It's abundance. It's blessing. It's fruit. It's so different. So think about taking a step to become a consistent giver. The third is, is really tough. It's not for the faint of heart. That's what it means to be a surrendered giver. That is, every element of, of one's spending, every decision that one makes about one's household uh, revolves first around church priority. It, it, it says it like this. Instead of letting how I live determine how I give, we now say how I give will determine how I live. It doesn't mean you have to become the top giver. It just means that other financial decisions come only after one gives to the church. Christmas shopping, new car, new home, whatever the seasons of life are, if they impact one's giving, then I want you to think about being a surrendered giver. There was a Sunday school teacher who was just finishing up a lesson on honesty, and she asked her, her students, the Sunday school class there, um, where do children go if they don't put money in the collection plate? One little boy said, I know. They get to go to the movies. <laughs> right? They do. Surrendered giving is where we say, I'm all in. And everything else will take a back seat except the, uh, to the mission and the ministry of Jesus Christ through the local church. The fourth and final step is, is what it means to be a legacy giver. We want to have conversations with, with families about giving beyond your own life, giving beyond yourself. You know, there's ways like the Cathedral in the Pines Builders Fund that help care for all of these facilities for many years to come. What would it look like this year for a household to say, I want to start thinking about my estate, my will, my beyond my life planning. What if 10 families stepped up and said, I want to become a legacy giver? What would that do for the future, for ministry of the church here? Initial giver, consistent giver, legacy, uh, surrender giver, and legacy giver. Those are the steps along the pathway of giving. I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself, where am I and, and what steps do I need to take to experience God's bountiful and abundant life through my giving? Because of you, because of our collective efforts this year, we've gone above and beyond anything that we could have ever asked or imagined in one of the most 
difficult, tumultuous times that any local church has, has, has ever seen through the pandemic and, and through, gosh, through renovations and through all sorts of things that we've dealt with over the past 20, 24 months, right? But because of that little four-inch circle that I'm looking at here, to people all over the country, we've, we've been in about 43 different, country, uh, 43 different states and 12 different countries because the generosity of our congregation has said, let's expand our reach. Over 400 leaders have volunteered to, to step up and to serve for the next year, for the next three years. Because of you, we've, we've given $25,000 to Mercy House, the ministry about people in Ken Austin down at the old WSFA building, and that ministry is up and running. I, I hope you'll connect with that ministry if you haven't already. It's phenomenal. Because of you, we have partnered with Metropolitan United Methodist Church. They are a beacon of hope on Rosa Parks, and that Beacon Center is up and running. They're feeding six to 700 people per week. And I think just this past week, if you saw the headline, that Pastor Richard and his congregation gave out 1,500 turkeys. Now, isn't that a wonderful, wonderful partner to have? So we do all sorts of wonderful things to care for these facilities and to invest with our community partners. But one of the coolest things that we did this past year is to partner with two hospitals. I have the letters here, one from Baptist South and, and one from Jackson Hospital. Because of you, we were able to contribute $50,000 to each organization. And what did that do? It relieved medical debt related to COVID-19 for 58 families. Think about being one of those families chained and bound by debt. Anybody know what debt does to you and how it makes you feel and how it feels so binding and limiting? Think about receiving a phone call that said, you don't know who did this, but somebody cared enough about what you've gone through that they've helped alleviate this amount of debt. I imagine those chains started rattling and falling off and they felt free because of you Tears of joy started flowing when families received that call because we decided to become initial givers and consistent givers and surrendered givers and even legacy givers so that we can be free for joyful obedience. Thank you, but let's don't stop. Let's follow the example of our children, many of whom have already pledged. One of our three-year-olds completed his pledge card earlier this week, and his mother said, uh, how much do you want to give to the church? And he went, I want to give a whole lot of money to the church. Three-year-old said that. Isn't that great? There was an 11-year-old who took the children's uh, pledge card and checked all but uh, one of the boxes saying, I want to attend Sunday school and worship and serve and pray. I'll pray. I'll read my Bible. I'll give my, my offering. And, and this particular child, she said, I'll give three dollars per week to the mission of the church. It's from an 11-year-old now. I started thinking about her $156 that she would give annually, and I, and I thought a lot about the, the story. It's in all of the Gospels, but John's Gospel is, is the one that records it the best, I think. When the multitudes were so hungry, following Jesus all throughout the Galilee, his disciples came to him. You remember this? His disciples came to him and said, Jesus, what are you going to do? 
give, give them something to eat. Remember what he said? He said, you give them something to eat. So they turned around and said, well, where are we going to find food to feed 5,000 people? And there was a little boy. He said, Lord, I have a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish if you think that's enough. And so they placed it in the hands of the master and he, he blessed it. He broke it. He gave thanks. And it not only fed every single person there, there were 12 baskets of food left over. It's a good Methodist event. There was leftovers. All because somebody said, I believe so much. A little child. I believe so much in the mission and the ministry of you, Jesus, that I'll give what I have. So I think about this 11-year-old who gave, who was giving $3 a week, $156 a year, I think it is, if I did the math right, saying, I know that doesn't add up to $4 million dollars which is our budget, but it does. Every pledge in here is, I don't know how to explain it, it's the greatest return on any investment. We give our loaves, our fish, we sow, and it multiplies into something that, golly, changes the world. Paul says, everyone should give as they've made up their minds to give, God loves a cheerful giver. I hope you'll consider what it means to give cheerfully, joyfully, not out of compulsion, not out of fear, not out of guilt, but because of all that God has done in your life. I hope you'll find a pledge card. There's some in the pew racks, and maybe you brought one with you, and I want us to look at this before we prepare now to come forward. If you'll open up the, the pledge card there, you see we take a wide view to discipleship. Yes, we're focusing on the giving portion of, of this card today, but our approach to di discipleship, to stewardship, really, is one that's mentioned in our covenantal vows of membership that we will be loyal with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. So what we've outlined for you here are ways that you can pledge to pray. Boy, do we cherish those. When I get a, a Monday email saying it's, it's my turn on Monday to pray for the clergy and, and for the staff of this church, you don't know what it does in the throes of the busy schedule to hear that somebody has stopped to pray for the church. I get the same periodically on Tuesdays and, and throughout the week, and it means the world. And then we pray that we'll be in worship together, in person together, as we are able, two times a month, three times a month, four times a month. Who's going to bat a thousand this coming year? One of you will. I hope all of you will. We we pledge our service, we pledge our, our witness, and we pledge our gifts. That's how the card works. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite everyone who's here to come forward. We'll come down the center aisle like we do uh, on Communion Sunday, and I would invite everyone to come, even if you've already completed your pledge card. Even if you're a guest. If you're a guest and you're sitting by one of my members, you can just shove them right out in the middle, and they'll just come right down. They just they'll figure it out. We'll figure out how to do that. 
as we make our pledge together. Friends, we are at our best when we practice generosity. Let me say that again. We are at our best when we practice generosity, not greed. We are at our best when our vision focuses on the needs of others and not on ourselves. We are at our best when we hold all things in common and, and don't take a parochial or myopic view of, of ministry. We're at our best when we hold all things in common, as it says in the book of Acts, and when we reach out our hands and when we stop pointing fingers and when we help our community find healing. Today is Christ the King Sunday. It's the very last Sunday in the Christian calendar. That means we start a brand new year next Sunday on Advent 1 as we celebrate the Hanging of the Greens. But today, Christ the King Sunday is a fairly new tradition. It, it only dates back to 1925 when Pope Pius XI decided that we needed a special Sunday to acknowledge the kingship of Jesus Christ because what was happening in the 20s with some of the world's superpowers, they were trying to lord over and rule over people and lands. And so the church decided there's only one true king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He rules over all creation. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. He came because God so loved this world that he did what? Gave. That's a term of generosity. He gave his only son to whom one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is the king of kings. Each time we commit to be loyal with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. We are declaring Christ is king of my life, big K, and there's no other kings that I choose to serve, little K. And we do so cheerfully. Cheerfully. Matthew's gospel says, when the Son of Man, when the King comes to decide who's been faithful and to judge the nations, the king will say, the one who has fed and clothed and visited and welcomed, you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. That's, that's the work we get to do, my brothers and sisters. So I invite you in a spirit of prayer to make your way down the center aisle as we would for communion. And I invite all of you to come and drop your cards here in this basket. And if you'd like to spend some time kneeling at the chancel rail to pray for your card or for our church and for our community, I would invite you to do that. Let us come.